0: It's good to see all of you here, and uh, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of John, chapter 12. The book of John, chapter 12, and the title of the message today in the series, What Do I Do Now? Hang on. The title of the message is Prepare for the Judgment. The story goes That a great fire swept through Rome in 64 A.D. True story, and that Emperor Nero played his fiddle in a a villa. Fiddle in a villa. Played his fiddle in a villa uh, some miles away, ignoring the uh, duty, uh, his duty to the great city. Well, there was indeed a fire that lasted for six days. It decimated Rome and there were only four of 14 of the Roman districts that were untouched. Ten of the 11 districts that were burned were burned uh, heavily. They were heavily damaged, and three of those that were heavily damaged were completely destroyed. There is, however, no evidence that Nero actually played while Rome was burning, but uh, that is the, the history. As we've watched our country become less of a factor in the world and on the world scene. And with some of the candidates running to be uh, the next president, seeming to be clueless to the state of our our world, our country, our economy, some of us feel like those who watched Rome burn. There just seems to be nothing that anyone can do. And truly, we are living in a chaotic time. You, you, cannot, you cannot deny that. And we really have to consider whether or not this is the precursor to the return of Jesus Christ. I would say that there would be a, this would be a good time for Jesus to come again. This would be a good opportunity for Him to come again. Remember our theme is 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, for the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Just as no one citizen could put out the fires of Rome, no one person is going to save this world from the chaos that we are in. No one person other than Jesus, of course, is going to save this world from the chaotic condition. Now, as believers, we have a responsibility to do what we should in light of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. We have a responsibility to be the kind of person, individual that we should be. And we learned, as we said earlier last week, that we can soften our hearts. Each one of us can have a more uh, malleable heart before the Lord and be less hard-hearted toward others. Today we learn that we must prepare for the judgment. Jesus came into the world to save sinners and save us from our sin, but he also warned us of judgments to come, especially those who would not receive the salvation from their sin. That is our text in John chapter 12, beginning in verse 47. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day, for I have not spoken on my own authority. But the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Well, there it is. The uh, reference again to the day says, in the day. That's what we're doing. We're going through the Bible, and we're seeing various things that we should uh, do or be in light of the day, the day that is approaching, the day of the Lord. There is a a last day coming. What we see in the world around us, what I see, makes me think that it is coming soon. Now, what can you do about the state of our world What can you do about the condition of our nation? You and I can do very little about the state of the world. We can do what we can. We can vote. We can support. uh, We can speak out. But no one individual in this room, no one individual on this earth is going to change the problems that are in the world today. Here's what we can do. We can change ourselves to prepare ourselves for the judgment to come. We can be ready. You can be ready, and so can I. Now with that being said, let's look at the fact of judgment. There is a judgment day coming. Everyone on this earth is going to be judged at one of two times or two judgments. We're either going to be judged at the return of Jesus Christ or we're going to be judged at the time that we die. But we will, whether we're judged in, uh, at either of those times, we're going to be in one <clears throat> of two judgments. Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. If you and I have softened our hearts, as we were challenged to do last week, then we will consider the judgment to come, and we'll prepare for it. More sure than tax day on April the 15th. There's two things about April the 15th. It was tax day and it was my wife's 43rd spiritual birthday. She was saved 43 years ago on tax day. So we have something good to associate April the 15th with. But more sure than tax day is judgment day. Judgment day is absolutely coming. In fact, there's two judgments. First of all, there's the great white throne judgment. If you're following along on your smartphone or your tablet device, then you'll see that noted. If not, I would encourage you to write that down. There is the great white throne judgment. Now, on the surface, that sounds like the one that we want. It's great. We like like great things. It's huge. It's really, really big. The great and it's white so that must represent purity and and <clears throat> and holiness and so on and it's it's from the throne and it's most likely Jesus who sits on the throne however the great white throne judgment is not the one you want you do not want to be in the great <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> the great <clears throat> white throne judgment this is the judgment for those who have rejected the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. These are the ones who would not respond to the light of the truth in Jesus Christ. If you're in the great white throne judgment, it means that you never got yourself right with God, that you were never saved. If you find yourself there, it is a horrible thing and it's an irreversible thing. Here's where it is described in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written <clears throat> in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead <clears throat> who were in it, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Now I want you to notice that the basis for this judgment is very simple. It's whether or not their name is found in a book, whether or not <clears throat> they are recorded in a in a book. It's the book of life. This is what we often refer to as the Lamb's book of life. Uh, You can think about it like this. It is the church directory of heaven. Uh, If you're in this book, then you are uh, going to be a part of heaven. If you are not in this book, then you will not be a part of heaven. Uh, It's very, very simple. If you're not in this book when you die or when Jesus comes, you are not in heaven and will never be. There is no provision in the Bible for praying uh, your soul out of a suspended state. There is no provision in the Bible for your going to a purgatory to be prayed out of purgatory by your family and friends and the saints who still remain on this earth. Being in this book, the book of life, is about what you've done regarding Jesus, and if you have done what you should regarding Jesus, then you are in the book of life. If you have not done what you should regarding Jesus, you are not in the book of life. Now listen carefully. If you are not in the book of life, then you are at the great white throne judgment. Very, very important. And remember these words spoken by Jesus. Uh, John 12, 48, The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge, and the word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. Very, very important that we understand that there is a great white throne judgment. Now I want to give you three things about the great white throne judgment to remember. You should remember these three things, especially if you're a person that says, I don't know for sure, really for sure, that I've done what I'm supposed to do in regard to Jesus Christ. I don't know for sure, really for sure, that I've been saved. Then you need to listen to these three words and and remember them. First of all, the great white throne judgment is indiscriminate. Now, when I say that, I mean that the Bible says that at that judgment, the small and the great the famous or the hidden, the rich or the poor, the old or the young, it didn't matter. If they were not found in the book of life, then they were at the great white throne judgment. The only thing that keeps you from this judgment is to have your name in the book. If your name is in the book, you are not in the judgment. That is a very simple yet profound uh, truth the only way to have your name in that book <clears throat> is it for it to be is for it to be written down. And how is it written? It is written down by the hand of God. And and I think of it like this that it is written <clears throat> by the hand of God, the pen of Jesus in the blood of the lamb. I th- I think of my name being written down in the book in the blood of the lamb so that when Jesus or the Father looks at the book, he sees Randy Ray written in the blood of the Lamb. Now, my name was there, I know, when I was eight years old, because that's when I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. John chapter 1 and verse 12 says that as many as receive Him, to them gave He power to become the children of God. That means as many as receive Jesus Christ have their birth recorded in the, <clears throat> the book of life. That gets you in the directory. You want your birth announcement recorded in the Lamb's book of life. This judgment is indiscriminate. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're not written in the Lamb's book of life, then you are in the great white throne judgment. If you're not found in the book, you're going to stand before the great white throne, and that's not great at all. It's an awful, awful thing. So if you're not in the book of life, your appointment with the great white throne judgment is not only indiscriminate, it is inescapable. You just cannot get out of this. This is an absolute truism from the Word of God. There's no getting away from it. There's no slipping away. From the side door into heaven, there's no standing and saying, oh my goodness, I hope that there's a way, a door, that I can get out of this great white throne judgment and get into the presence of God. Heaven has only one door. There's no other door to heaven. You say, You're, you mean just one way? That's right. You sometimes hear people say, well, we're all working toward the same thing. We might like to all think that we're working toward the same thing, but the reality is that heaven <clears throat> has only one door. And unless you go through the door, you cannot enter in. There is no other entrance. There is no other passage. There is no other way than through this one door that is available. If you are in the book of life, you have found that door. If you are in the book of life, you have walked into the body of Christ through that one door. If not, you're gonna. Uh, you'll not find another door. Now you say, preacher, what is that door? Many of you, probably most of you, know Jesus said, "I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find <clears throat> pasture." The judgment to come, or the judgment, is one that condemns the eternal soul, and it is inescapable it is indiscriminate, it is inescapable, and the white throne judgment, the great white throne judgment is insatiable. Now, here's what I mean by that. There is every reason for us not to want to be a part of this judgment. Maybe the greatest reason is the horrific outcome of this judgment. It's a terrible, terrible judgment. Mark chapter 9 and verse 43. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, the unquenchable fire. Now that's a horrible thing. And and I'm here to tell you that as far as I know, most churches, most pastors, most preachers do not tell you much about hell. And the reason is because it is not uh it is not palatable it is not something that that you like people like to hear it it is it is not uh they they feel like sometimes it's not relevant well hell is very, very relevant. Because if we do not walk through that one door, who is Jesus Christ, we're going to find ourselves in that great white throne judgment. And if we're in that great white throne judgment, then we're going to find ourselves in a place that is called hell, that is an unquenchable fire. Now here's what that means to me. An unquenchable fire is a fire that doesn't go out ever. It is an unquenchable fire fire. Pastor Ray, how can there be such a thing? Well, let me ask you this. How can God Himself be born of a virgin, live on this life sinless, uh, die on the cross, be buried, and raise again the third day of His own power? It's of God. God does the miraculous. And quite honestly, this is a miraculous horror Here's what the Bible says about hell in Revelation 20 and verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. This is the death that we can and should avoid. This is the death that comes to those who have not received Jesus Christ as Savior. It's one thing to die. It's another thing to die the second death. The second death is eternal separation from God in that horrible place called hell. We have spent a lot of time talking about the judgment that we want to avoid, and I pray that if there's anyone in this room today anyone. It doesn't matter. I, I, look, I don't care if, if, if you're a staff member, a family member, uh, if you've been in this church all your life, or is this the first day that you walked into this church. I, I'm, I'm here to tell you that there is a door that you can go through and avoid all of these terrible things, and far more that I didn't mention, all of the, <clears throat> these terrible things, and that door is Jesus Christ. And at the close of this service, we're going to give you an opportunity, very simply by faith, to walk through the door, Jesus Christ, and avoid the great white throne judgment altogether, to avoid hell altogether, and in fact, have just the opposite, have an experience at the judgment seat of Christ. That's the second judgment. There is the great white throne judgment, and there's the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, I like to talk about the judgment seat of Christ. And the reason that I like to talk about the judgment seat of Christ is because it reminds me that on this earth we are storing up treasures in light of the day, that we are standing <clears throat> before the judgment seat of Christ, at least that's what we're supposed to be doing. Matthew chapter six and verse 20 says, "But lay up treasures, Jesus is speaking, but lay up treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Wonderful passage of Scripture. Colossians chapter three and verse two, Set your mind on things that are above <clears throat> and not on things. That are on the earth. Now, here's what that tells us: that while we live on this earth, there must be a sense of heaven on our mind. You remember Willie Nelson used to sing, "You were always on my mind." Well, he wasn't talking about heaven, but that wouldn't be a bad thing to talk about. That that our presence before the Lord is always on our mind. That the idea that someday we're going to stand before God and we will see the treasures that we have laid up in heaven uh, should always be on our mind. Now, what are those treasures? Well, the Bible calls them crowns. In the past, we have looked at crowns and how we earn those crowns and and so on. I want to give you share with you five heavenly crowns. These are five rewards that you can earn in in the presence of heaven. Some people may argue that there are more. Uh, Some people may argue that there's less. But let's look at five, okay? We'll say that there are five. First of all, there is the imperishable crown. This is 1 Corinthians 9 and 24. Uh, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Now, what is this? These are the treasures that we have laid up in heaven. Rust and decay and downturns, nothing else, nothing else has affected these treasures because we have sent them to heaven. How do you have treasures like that? Well, you have treasures like that by your giving. You have treasures like that by your living, by your own life. You have treasures like that by the compassion you've had in this life. You have treasures like that by the service you've given the Lord in this life. You have treasures like that by how you've raised your children. You have those treasures that are earned as an imperishable crown. These are the things that were sent to heaven, things that while on this earth you dealt with them in a heavenly way. You made sure that you didn't live just for the things that are around you. You didn't live just for the money that you would have. You didn't live uh, just for the glory that you would enjoy, that you sent these things on to heaven. That's an imperishable crown. Uh, That crown will be waiting for those people who have earned them uh, that crown on this earth. Here's the second crown. It's the crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not uh, only to me, but also to all who love His appearing. Now, this crown is the crown that is earned in overcoming the discouragement around you, in overcoming the distractions of this life in loving the appearing of Jesus Christ and looking for that blessed hope, the return of Jesus Christ. This is the crown that overrides the distress of the day that you might be living in. This is the crown that overrides the difficulty of your circumstances and says, you know what, life may be tough, life may be unfair, life may be hard, but I want to tell you this, I'm looking someday to stand in the presence of the Lord. I'm looking someday to be with the Lord. It is a crown that is absolutely indestructible. It is a crown that that you just continue to hold on to in your life. It's the crown of righteousness. Here's the third crown. The third crown is the crown of life. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, do not fear what you're about to suffer Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. For ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now this is sometimes called the victor's crown. It's a crown for uh, all believers, but there's a special designation for those who have suffered in the name of Jesus Christ. You know those Christians, in in those territories where there's radical uh, Islamic terrorism and they've been beheaded and they're being tortured every single day, I want to tell you something, those people are earning a special designation in regard to that crown of life that they have have received. I don't know all that there is about this designation, but I think that having a distinction in the presence of the one who died on the cross for your sins would be quite something. I think having a distinction of standing there with a crown of life and knowing that this crown represented suffering, that this crown represented some difficult times, that this crown represented that I had done these things not for myself or because of myself, but because of my place and my position in Jesus Christ. To know that I was standing before the one who had died on the cross for my sins and look at this crown and say... I was awarded this crown of suffering. The one who noted that, the the one who suffered for me noted that I was uh, suffering for him on this earth. (coughs) Excuse me. That is a blessing beyond measure. We're looking at the crowns that are afforded to those who are in the judgment seat of Christ, to those who appear before the Lord. (coughs) There is the uh, crown, imperishable crown, and the crown of righteousness, and the crown of life. And then number four, there is the crown of glory. Now this is a, uh, maybe a shepherd's crown. Uh, <clears throat> this is a crown given to those in service for Christ, uh, under shepherds, if you will, who have served Him faithfully. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the <clears throat> unfading crown of glory. Now watch this. This is the kind of crown that a pastor like me hopes that he is worthy of when he gets to heaven. This is a crown where that, that I hope that the Lord doesn't look at my service and say, Wow, you missed your chance. Uh, I, I called you to be an under-shepherd. I called you to be faithful. I called you to preach the word. I called you to love the people. I called you to, to live the life of of he must increase, but I must decrease. I called you in that regard, yet instead, you live the life out front. You live the life of wanting to be first. You live the life of wanting the limelight. You You took away from my glory. You didn't add to my glory. All of us who are in the service for Christ, we want to make sure that when we stand before the Lord that that crown of glory is rewarded to someone who has given glory to God faithfully and throughout their lives and I've got to tell you this I can't tell you whether you're going to get that crown of glory and you can't tell me whether I'm going to get that crown of glory but one of these days the saved are going to stand before the Lord and the saved and the called into his service are going to find out whether or not we receive that crown of glory there's one more crown I want to share with you and that is the crown of rejoicing in first Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9 for what is our hope Uh, or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are glory and joy. Paul says there's nothing that could bring him more joy at the judgment seat of Christ than to see those who have come to Jesus by his witness. Every soul that you have won to Christ, every missionary dollar that you've given, every prayer that you have offered uh, for the lost. Every one that you taught in Sunday school and, and brought to Jesus through your, your teaching and on and on, these <clears throat> are part of your crown of rejoicing. There will be a day, there will be a day when you <clears throat> stand before the Lord and there will be this crown of rejoicing. The people who have come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior because of your witness, because of your testimony. How many of you were here for Bob Wells' funeral a few weeks ago? Would you raise your hand? You're here for Bob Wells' funeral. Bob Wells, an unusual man, <clears throat> one of the most unusual guys I've ever known. He sat when he was attending this church about where Coach Posey's sitting now over on this side. Bob Wells had a, uh, a very up-and-down life until one day God really got a hold of his life. I mean, <clears throat> really got a hold of him. And, and he became uh, radically on fire for Jesus Christ. He had been on fire for drugs, and he had been on fire for alcohol, and he had been on fire for pleasure. But <clears throat> he became radically on fire for Jesus Christ. And he began to win souls like nobody's business. And when we had the uh, funeral service, and we had it for him here, even though he no longer attends this, attended this church. He was a, a pastor of a church up in Quincy. He, uh, <clears throat> we had the service here, and, and this lower floor was filled with people. And this floor was filled with people because so many people had come to know Jesus Christ through His life. And we came to a funeral service, but ended up having a revival. And by the time we left that day, many more had come to know Jesus Christ as their savior. And I thought to myself, on that day, my goodness what a crown of rejoicing. Imagine all of the people that have been saved, and and all of the spiritual children, and then grandchildren, and then great-grandchildren that he might have had because of his singular life. And you might think of how your life is tied to his. The crown of rejoicing is a magnificent, a magnificent crown. We get these crowns. We get these crowns after we have been judged in the presence of God, we get these crowns <clears throat> after the judgment seat of Christ. Then comes my favorite thing about heaven, and I have a lot of good things that I like about heaven, but here's my favorite thing. Crowns are the only currency in heaven. That's the only currency. In a few uh, weeks, there's a group of us going to Romania. We will convert American dollars into lay. Lei is the currency of uh, Romania. Jan and I just returned from Argentina. In Argentina, the peso is the currency of Argentina. We would trade $1 for 15 pesos in Argentina. And that's the currency of Argentina. And you can go around the world and find the different currencies. There are not multiple currencies in heaven. There is only one currency in heaven, and it is crowns. Crowns are the only currency in heaven. The only thing of value that you can spend in heaven are crowns. This is why you want to have as many crowns as possible, because they are the only thing. They are your bank account, if you will. They're your bank account in heaven. Now, the question is this. How do you spend your bank account in heaven? How do you get to spend those crowns that you earned on this earth. How do you get to utilize them? Well, <clears throat> here's uh, are the believers. Uh here uh, we are the believers who have earned crowns represented in 24 elders around the throne of Jesus, and let me show you how they spent the crowns and this is how we're going to spend the crowns as well. In Revelation chapter 4 and verse 10, the 24 elders all uh, fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns uh, before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you have created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. Everything that you need in heaven is already bought and paid for. Everything that you want in heaven is already about bought and paid for. Uh if if I like fried peach pies, there may be a fried peach pie tree there. I might just get to walk up instead of peaches, a fried peach pie fall out in my hand. I would love that. I'd be so excited about that. There may be a barbecue tree. Who knows? There may be all kinds of stuff. It it could be that it could be that the, the river of life that flows through heaven is, is homemade ice cream. And when you dip it up, uh, it, it freezes in the bowl. Uh, th- but there's nothing, there's nothing that you can spend any money on in heaven. It's all provided for you for free with the exception of one thing. And that is these crowns. And you say, I've got all of these crowns now. What am I going to, how am I going to spend these crowns? I'm going to buy a bigger house. You can't buy a bigger house. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy a better wardrobe. You can't ask for a better wardrobe. There's only one thing you can do with these crowns. You know what it is, don't you? It's to come before the throne and to lay them at the feet of Jesus and to glorify Him with your life and the crowns of your life and everything that was earned in this life. That's the only place to spend it. That's the only currency of heaven, and the only place to spend it is at the feet of Jesus. And here's what I'm trying to share with you, friends, that What you're going to want is at the end of this life to stand before the Lord and to bow and to lay those crowns down and say, You are worthy to receive honor and praise above all in the universe. And I glorify you with my life and my crowns. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. That's spending money in heaven. That's bigger and better. That's what you really, really want. I've spent all of my time today on point number one, the fact of judgment. Very quickly, let me give you two more things and we're done. The fire of judgment. The light of the day in which we live and the promise of the day to come, we want our work for Christ to stand the test and it will be tested. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the "'Foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be manifest, will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each uh, one has done. If the work that anyone has done on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward.' If anyone's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You say, well, wait a minute. All of our works are going to be tested, and then the crowns will be awarded. Absolutely. Well, what stands the test? What stands the time of test? That which is motivated by a love for Jesus Christ is what withstands the fires of judgment. Remember this from 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, one, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And skipping ahead to verse 13, now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. How and why are you serving the Lord? Do you serve the Lord out of a heart of love? Is that how you serve Him? That was how you served your children when they were younger. Yesterday, Jan and I were in Jacksonville. Paul and Lindsay moved to another house, and we were over there trying to help them with the girls as they were getting situated. And there was Emerson, about to be two years old, and there was Avery, between four and five months old. And every motivation of how we dealt with those children was love. It was all love. Everything. Everything. Emerson fell and bumped her head, and everybody responded with love. Avery cried when she was hungry, and everybody responded with love. They smiled at you, and everybody responded with love. They hugged your neck, and everybody responded with love. So that when we left yesterday afternoon, evening, and drove ourselves back to Tallahassee, we had great memories that were based on one thing and one thing only while we were there, and that was love. Absolute, 100% joyous love. Do you know someday that the the test of fire, if you will, will judge your motives and judge your way and judge your work before the Lord? And that which lasts, that which holds, that which remains, that which will uh, yield for you the crowns will be those things that were done from a heart of love. God, I served you out of love. Won these souls out of love. Tried to be faithful to you out of love. Endured the difficulties out of love. Lord, I have loved you. You say, well, that's not always been my motive. I would encourage you today to make it your motive for everything you do in this life. A love for the Lord Jesus Christ. A love and a gratitude for Him. And at that day when your your, uh, uh, works stand the fires of judgment that which was done in a love for him and out of a love for him will stand the test and then not only do you have crowns to lay at Jesus feet you have crowns of love to lay at Jesus feet because you know that these crowns came because you loved him supremely we're talking today about the judgment and being prepared for the judgment and this is what we should do now And there is the fact of judgment, and there is the fire of judgment, and finally, the fairness of judgment. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6 For I am ready, already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. It's easy to get a belly full of this world that's around us. It really is easy to get a belly full. But in the end, what do we do? Do we just give up because we're fed up, or do we remember that Jesus is coming one day, and there is a judgment to come, and it is a fair judgment. And so, do we love his appearing in light of the day that we live? Do we love the appearing of the Lord because there's an opportunity for us to be judged, in the judgment seat of Christ, and receive a fair judgment? I want to be ready for the judgment. And I want you to be ready to, to, as well. I I got out of that great white throne judgment when I was a little boy. I got out when I was eight years old. Did not want that, did not want any part of that. And I got out of that when I prayed the simple prayer. God, I'm just a little boy and I don't know what to do. Please save me. Wait a minute, let me write that down. And he wrote it down, Randy Ray, eight years old, in the blood of the Lamb. And on that day, I became forever saved. Have you done what it takes to avoid the great white throne judgment? Well, it's too late for me now, preacher. I'm not eight years old like you were. All that doesn't matter. If you'll just humble yourself as a child and come to him and walk through the door of salvation today, you can be saved. It's a matter of what you do with Jesus. Are you a believer? If you are, will you have crowns to lay at the feet of Jesus? I'm one who believes that all tears will be wiped away when we are in heaven, but I don't believe that they'll be wiped away until after the judgment and the crowns are given out and we lay them at the feet of Jesus. Because I believe that we might look at our hands and say, I wish I could give him more. I wish I had given him more. And what you can do in a day like today with all that's going on around you is to lay up treasures in heaven through the love of God spread abroad in your heart, through Jesus Christ, our Lord.